me. It's me against me. It doesn't matter what these people are doing. It doesn't matter what they hit in training. It doesn't matter what I hit in training. As long as like I have the confidence in myself and that I believe in myself, I know that I can do anything. This is where I you're want. meant to be. Like I know it. I've never. My best self is better than every single person who's gonna walk on that platform that night. Gosh, man, that was was a moment to change my life, man. Work harder than everyone else and just keep going. Get up and do it again and again and again. journey to a better you starts right now. So if you're as big of a weightlifting fan as I am, the last couple weeks have been heaven for you too. Between Worlds, AO Finals, and Masters Worlds going on, I feel like I've just non-stop been watching weightlifting. There's been some incredible performances, a lot of people who have been on the podcast actually, which is really cool to see. Um, pretty much any time I have somebody on the show, I kind of follow their career going forward, and I think it's really cool to see where they end up. My guest this week is Shelby Flug. She is a 64-kilo athlete, um, just competed at AO Finals where she took second place, which is absolutely incredible. The amount of athletes, especially in USA Weightlifting, just keeps growing all the time, and the performances keep getting better. The weight on the bar keeps getting heavier, um, and it's just really cool to watch. So it was cool to talk to Shelby about her performance last week and mindset, training, everything that goes into it. I think there's just so much behind the scenes that we don't get to see, and I hope to bring some of that to light. So I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'm going to send it there now. How many times a week are you going in? Like, do you do the salt room? Do you do like meditation kind of stuff in there? So at the salt cave, we have two, we have a big cave and then a small private cave. Normally I'll sit in one of those and I'll do like the Normatec boots and pair it with an infrared sauna session. Um, I probably go at least once a week, depending on the time of like the competition cycle and the training cycle. I might go twice a week, but obviously we all have really busy lives and it's hard to kind of fit that in. So how much time do you spend in the actual room? Typically probably like an hour, I would say they, you can do it as long as you want, but I usually do it as long as I do the boots. So if I do a 45 minute boot session, if my legs are totally trashed after, you know, a wicked base cycle, I might sit in there for an hour. Okay. I've done it once before. It, it was a it was a different experience, but uh but it was fun. It kind of helps bring the nervous system down and maybe like helps you sleep better at night. So, I've had, you know, success with that and whatever helps. I usually kind of I'm a very routine person. So if I find something that works for me, then I'll just continue to do it. Do you play any sort of music in there? Or are you just kind of in there with your own thoughts? Uh, it depends on my mood. <laughs> so sometimes if I'm looking just to completely relax over the speaker system, they play relaxable Zen type music. Otherwise, I'll just pop in my AirPods and kind of put my own playlist on. So, Or sometimes I bring a friend or like a teammate mm. and... We'll just chat. So. Yeah, that's nice. It's nice when you have somebody else in there. But I don't know. Sometimes I sit in the sauna, and one thing I really try to do is just, I don't bring my phone in there or anything and just literally try to sit there. Sometimes it gets pretty boring, and I'll be turning because the clock's on the reverse side, so I'll turn around and look at the clock and be like, oh, three minutes have passed. <laughs> yeah. In the sauna, I won't bring my phone in because 
it overheats, but it's nice because we have the Bluetooth connected to it also. So I can play like a whatever playlist I'm feeling for that day. Okay. That, yeah, that's awesome. It's cool kind of yeah. when you, when you have control over all the stuff too. Absolutely. I'm sure like people who, who just pop in the shop don't necessarily have that much input. No. <laughs> yeah. When we first got the sauna, we, I didn't know like how loud it can get and a massage was going in the next room and I was playing like some rap playlist from the gym and you know kind of gets a little loud in there yeah yeah for sure it's it's such a good reset like I I think it's a good tool if you have access to it just hopping in the sauna um the salt cave I obviously haven't done too much so I can't really speak on that but the sauna I think is huge well if you're ever in the Chicago area typically suburbs where I live feel free to stop by okay is there I think they released the schedule for next year for like nationals and stuff. I don't think they're going back to Chicago anytime soon. No. So I know that right before COVID, they originally planned to host nationals in Chicago, which was actually Lombard. And I was really excited because that was my first time I actually qualified to nationals. Um, But then obviously the world shut down for COVID and they never brought it back. So hopefully you know, in the next year or two, they'll bring it back because I think that would be something super fun to do. Yeah, homie. I know uh, Daniel Gunnan got a chance to compete at finals, and I know that was like a big thing of pride for her. Totally. And she had an amazing meet. So that was really something that I think it's a huge benefit to be able to sleep in, you know, your own bed and eat your own breakfast and your family gets to come and your friends and they get to see all the work that you put in. Because realistically, we all put in you know, insane amount of hours in and out of the gym just to do this crazy sport. So I think when you get the opportunity to compete in your hometown, it's like such a privilege almost. Mm -hmm. And then people are kind of like, oh, this is what you spend all the time at the gym doing. Right. I actually, so in Las Vegas for nationals and in Atlanta, I did gymnastics growing up. So, um, you know, we're all old and grown and moved across the whole country. But two of my club teammates, one lived in Vegas and one lived in Atlanta. And they actually got the opportunity to come watch one of my weightlifting competitions, which was super cool because, you know, they spent their whole lives doing club gymnastics. We all went to college gymnastics um, and we've kept in like pretty good touch. But it was really fun having old friends from eighth grade come and watch me and this was in different locations not even at home that's awesome yeah kind of talk about doing uh gymnastics in college especially um I know we talked off air and you said you had some injuries that kind of really forced you out of the sport but what was your experience with gymnastics like so growing up I just did club gymnastics I didn't really dabble into any other sports um and then I committed and went to western Michigan so it's a smaller d1 school in the MAC. Um, I did have like five surgeries back to back from my senior year in high school through my senior year of college, um, between my Achilles, my labrum and bicep on my shoulder. And in the end, my senior year of college, I actually completely ruptured my Achilles. So I didn't get the opportunity to kind of close out my college career, especially on my terms. So that was the week before school started. Um, and unfortunately, the doctor kind of said, you know, this this is it. Uh, so I took the opportunity to essentially be medically disqualified. Um, it was kind of a blessing in disguise, though, because 
uh, I think if my career didn't end that way, I might not have wanted to pursue something post collegiate, you know? So uh, when I was a senior in college, since I couldn't compete, I got the opportunity to do uh, a volunteer student assistant coach with my college team. I also got the opportunity to do some ESPN commentating at our home meets, which was really cool. So I kind of saw the sport from all angles, you know, being a competitor, sitting on the sidelines, coaching, commentating, and then sitting in the stands, you know, having to sit out completely. Um, it was honestly not how I expected my college career to go, but I probably, as crazy as it sounds, wouldn't trade it because all of that took me to where I am now. Um, and like I said, once I graduated college and moved back kind of where I was from, I was searching for something to do. So I was dabbling into yoga classes and hit training classes and going to the LA fitness, but I never really felt good with what I was doing, um, which ultimately led me to weightlifting. So it's a wild ride, but here I am. What do you mean you didn't feel good? Like just with the workouts or like yeah. a loss of community or what? kind of all of it. Um, I was so used to always having specific things to do. I'd walk into training or practice, you know, and have my gymnastics assignment. And in the weight room, we would have, you know, this is what you're doing every single day. So once I didn't have that specific guidance or training program, however you want to call it, I just didn't know what to do. And I felt like I needed to do more. I still felt like I didn't finish on my own terms, like I said. So I felt like I just wasn't finished with my competitive journey, I guess. Gymnastics is a tough sport too. Aren't you training like three, four or five hours a day, just pretty much right off the bat? In gymnastics? Yeah. Yeah. So growing up in club gymnastics, typically right after school, you go straight to the gym. You're there for four or five hours. Um, and then you just go home do your homework, go right back to school. And in college, it was a little bit different um, just because everybody's classes are so scattered around, but it's kind of the same thing. They introduced, you know, the weight room, but we didn't really do weights. So a lot of the stuff that we did in the weight room uh, was what we would do upstairs in the gym. So body weight stuff and pull-ups and squats without the barbell. So I never actually picked up a barbell until I started weightlifting. Wow. So like, what, three, five years ago? Was it five? Yeah, Four. hit the five-year mark. Uh, my first competition was January 2018, and I had been doing weightlifting for maybe two months. So I think my first official snatch from the ground, I remember, was on Thanksgiving. <laughs> so I you know, just hit that five-year mark right around AO, AO finals. Wow, that's crazy. And I mean, look at you now. You've, you've gone pretty far in the sport, pretty much yeah, as, as far as you can go inside the country. Um, yeah. If you told me five years ago, you know, like, this is what you'll do. These are the accomplishments you'll have. These are the opportunities that will be presented to you. I probably would have said you're crazy. <laughs> um, but I've just really taken a liking to weightlifting. And obviously, I've had some good success early off the bat. So 
Yeah, and I love seeing that one uh, transformation post where you posted a clean and jerk and then you snatching that weight. Do you know how, how long apart that was? Um, are you talking about the one of the most recent ones that I did, right? It was, it was like, a 82 kilo clean and jerk. So I, I think that was probably about a year into the sport. I clean and jerked 82. Um, so that was 2019. And then the hang snatch I posted with the same weight, um, was this past training cycle. So what is that like three years? Yeah, about three years. Uh, and I thought that was really cool to kind of see I was struggling clean and jerking 82 and now it's become a working weight for snatch. So, you know, all of the hard work that we put in has paid off and I don't know, it's been, a, it's crazy. Yeah, and it is cool to see that because I mean, people are gonna watch AO finals this year and see that you have really good technique. You're obviously super strong. And then people almost have this false perception that you've always been this way that right. you know you you kind of and it's obviously false like you know it took a lot of work to get there but you kind of see somebody you know snatching 90 kilos out on the platform and you're like wow like that that's so far off for me but in hindsight looking back that was probably you looking at other people who were snatching 90 kilos oh absolutely uh when i walked into forza i was kind of a mess i was definitely in the worst shape that i'd ever been in my life because i had been done with gymnastics and once I blew my Achilles, I actually didn't rehab back to gymnastics. So I just kind of rehabbed back to everyday life. Um, so my body was still kind of a mess. My, my shoulders were aching and I had been running. So I was having a lot of pain. Um, my coach, Dave Esther, he actually took the time to like completely kind of start from a really solid good base. So we spent a ton of time rehabbing and fixing all of my problems. So when I walked through that door, like I said, I was in pretty rough shape, like physically, and I didn't, I wasn't amazing at the lifts when I started. Um, my first competition total, I think was around 107. I mean, I snatched 45 and I think I, I clean and jerked like 62. So I didn't come in strong and qualifying to nationals i came in doing okay but obviously we've had to put in a ton of work just to get where we are and i mean including just the physical part of it i we have a physical therapist at our gym who has been absolutely amazing for me that i utilize a ton he's really kept me healthy and then obviously uh nutrition too so i work with a nutritionist i work with christian carter with rp um, and all of those things have been just small things you have to do continuously to make the, the gains, make the progress. It all matters. What about mentally? Like, do you think, you know, being such a young age and training that much for gymnastics, do you think it kind of almost like promotes burnout at the end of your career where, you know, you're doing this thing and you're competing all the time and then it's, you kind of, if you don't have that transition thing to move into something else, it's like, what's next? Definitely. I mean, I experienced some slight burnout when I was doing gymnastics in club because when you're younger, going to things like prom and football games really matter. And you have to make that decision at a young age. You know, do I want to be successful at gymnastics? Do I want to get a full ride? 
Do I want to go to nationals? And I had to give up those things. And so there was a little bit of a time, mostly in my, my junior, senior kind of age group where I was having a tough time. But I think kind of fast forwarding that when I did have that break after college, like it kind of reset me, you know what I mean? So there is definitely burnout, I think, when you push too hard too fast. But I don't know. It's just I, I was really glad that I stuck with gymnastics. You know, I, one of my huge goals was to go and compete for college. Uh, my mom actually did college gymnastics, too, which is really cool. Um, and my dad did college wrestling. So it was kind of not instilled, but it, I had – really great role models to look at to do something like that mm -hmm. so you kind of have the the best of both worlds like you were I mean doing gymnastics but you were kind of built for weightlifting I would say yeah so as I mentioned my parents they both did you know collegiate sports but my grandpa was in the NFL and then my sister also she did college cheerleading and then she dabbled into powerlifting so my family is pretty pretty sports based, I would say, which worked out in my favor because I have such an amazing support system now because they all understand the sport lifestyle mentality. So I got really lucky to be having a family like that, which supports my goals and dreams. Yeah. And even like the understanding, you know, because yeah. I'm thinking about my mom, like she knows nothing about sports. And <laughs> I did a jujitsu competition. I got choked out in 38 seconds and she was like oh great job sweetie and I'm like no that's not a great job like it's probably the worst thing that could have happened but yeah I think that could be huge like having somebody who really understands who competed before and you know when yeah. things do go your way or if things don't go your way you're kind of able to have that kind of what you need in that support in that moment mm -hmm. yeah it's definitely it makes a difference because when somebody understands you're able to go to them without feeling scared or like nervous or what if they don't understand like you mentioned your mom sometimes but it is i mean my mom doesn't completely understand weightlifting and i don't even know if she wants to <laughs> i think she kind of likes not knowing um for her because she knew so much about gymnastics so with her i think it's just she knows i'm happy which makes her happy and it's you know, it's, it's nice to have her there though. Yeah. I mean, it really is a performance, especially I don't did, um, at AO finals, did they have the warm up platforms on the side or were they behind? Yeah. So USAW started doing the setup. I think the first time they did it was, I don't know if it was this past nationals, but there's been a, a couple meets where they have the warm ups on the side now instead of the back. Okay. But it's still like you kind of you you walk out on the platform and you do these lifts and they're strength based, but it's it really is a performance. Hmm. Yeah. So it's um, yeah, it's interesting to think about it that way, and especially like when when it's in the back, like people don't really see what's going on back there, and a lot of times people are missing lifts or people are walking in front of you. There's a lot of distractions going on. You might have ten, fifteen minutes in between attempts and. Uh, you walk out on the stage and it's, you get your three lifts and it, it's so quick the way it happens. I think, um, so my mom actually, her first time seeing me compete like on the national stage was this past nationals. 
So she hadn't seen us where we warm up in the back. She only saw the live stream. But she told me that, like, on the side, when you can see it, they the spectators actually do enjoy that because, like you said, it's a performance and you didn't see what goes on behind. Um, but I think it's something that's kind of cool now. I know at first a lot of people were nervous about it, but uh, it's kind of cool to see the, the warm-ups and, like you said, people missing and then coming out and performing their best and making the lift. So it kind of shows the behind the scenes right in front of your face. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like is weightlifting (laughs) ever going to be a spectator friendly sport? Probably not just because just because the speed and the changes, like I I just think it's too slow and I've kind of thought about this a lot. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Like, the, I guess you don't even really need it to be because like, I, so I'm a big fan. Like I watch if nationals is on or AO finals is on, I watch like ev- pretty much every a session. I just enjoy watching it. And I think, it, I think USAW needs to do a better job for those people, like people who are already interested in weightlifting. I don't think people are going to see weightlifting on ESPN and think, Oh, that's really cool. I'm going to try that. But I think they right. could do a better job, like getting the people who, do go to a gym or maybe do CrossFit and they know what the lifts are, um, kind of going after those people, like see, showing that side side of things, like the behind the scenes. So I think obviously the six for six and uh, barbell stories, like they're just awesome for the sport. Uh, I think they've really done a great job showcasing, you know, the highs and the lows of this sport. And after every meet, I always look forward to seeing the hype videos that they did and the amazing emotional pictures because they just have such a way of capturing, you know, the raw feelings that the sport brings you, whether it's a celebration after making a PR or crying because you, you hurt yourself or you bombed out or you had a disappointing performance. And it's really cool to see the sport from a different angle. Yeah. I told Matt and Sydney when they came on the podcast that I, at that time I wasn't weightlifting and getting ready for it, I was watching a lot of their videos and looking at their work, and I was like, yeah, I need to do this. I need to get back into yeah. this. And uh, they're a big reason why I started back up. It totally lights your fire again when you watch those videos. I can't lie. For sure. Are you a big fan of the sport? Like, do you watch – are you watching Worlds at the moment? Um, I would say as I've gone through this sport, I think in the beginning because I didn't know what weightlifting was at all. Um, I didn't really, not necessarily care, but I didn't know anything. I didn't know who to look for or where to find it. Because like you said, it's not necessarily the most spectator friendly sport. It's not all over ESPN. Um, a lot of times, you know, as I mentioned, I didn't even know what the sport was. And I think a lot of people don't, but since I've been immersed into the sport for a while, I do, I do try and follow it. Um, so I have been watching worlds here and there, mostly clips on Instagram, but the other day, one of the. One of my teammates at the gym, she paid for the the live stream, so we had it up at the gym, and you know we're rooting for. I think it was the fifty five session, so it was Shayla. We were rooting for her, um, but I've definitely gotten the opportunity to meet some of the people at the top, and I think that's kind of what's made me want to follow weightlifting more to follow their journeys too, because now I know them at a personal level. Do you feel like now, like you have to start paying attention to? Um... So you just finished second at AO finals, which is a huge accomplishment. But do you feel like this is a time where you have to start paying more attention because they're more of your competitors instead of like, you're just kind of watching them because you're a fan? 
That's a good question. I think for for me personally, I like to focus on like my own journey as far as like my progress and my numbers. Obviously, it's in the back of your head, you know, what's this person doing? What's this person doing? But I feel like overall, when people start focusing too much on numbers and I have to beat this person, I have to do that, they kind of lose sight of the sport and what they're doing. So for me, I usually leave like the numbers in and out of competition up to my coaches, you know? So I, the way we work as a team and as a gym, we don't really like have the athletes call the numbers at the competitions. So whatever my coach tells me I'm going to do and puts on that board, I know I either... He has me doing it for a reason, whether it's to qualify for something or just because, you know, that's the right move to medal or to make a PR. Uh, so I kind of leave like the strategy and the numbers and all of that worrying out of my my clear line of vision. Do you even know what you're going to take before like you walk up to the bar? Yeah. So when I first started, I don't think I even knew enough about the sport, so I don't even <laughs> remember some of the numbers that I took at competitions and I just was like oh like what number was that after I got off the stage you know um but now we definitely coming into a competition we'll talk about our general game plan uh knowing that the day of competition and how the competition runs it might change a little bit so we have ballpark numbers that we're going for on first and third attempts but if if you walk in and snatches go horribly and everybody's missing then you might move the numbers around a little bit and it's nice to know that going into the competition so you don't have a total freak out moment in the middle of competition yeah i think having a plan like obviously you have to show up with a plan like you don't want to just completely not know what you're gonna hit but uh mm-hmm. yeah i don't know my the one meet i did um ao ao3 in daytona like i remember i was just you know you have all this adrenaline it's like a national meet and you're like, oh yeah, everything's feeling good. And then I ended up going like my opener, I bumped up three kilos and then missed it. And then I was like, fuck, that was, that was like, looking back, it's really stupid. But, uh, yeah, like having, having that opener and just like kind of knowing like, Hey, this is the number we're going to hit no matter how good we're feeling, we're going to go with Mm -hmm. this. And I think you, you obviously need to build that trust with your coach to where you can have that conversation. Um, even if you have somebody to hold you back and say, Hey, we, we talked about, this was your opener. We're not going to bump it up. If you want to take a bigger third attempt, sure, but let's hit the opener first. Right. Usually on the third attempt, you know, if you hit your first two, you can kind of play around a little bit and bump it up or, you know, go for that next metal change. Uh, just that's what third attempts are for. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, um, AO finals and just like the experience of going there and, and what it was like competing. So, as you mentioned, I actually had a pretty great day, and I did place second, which was amazing. I can't, you know, I can't complain about how the meet went. Um, I know that most people know the person that got first in my weight class was Maddie Sasser, and as some people know, she did go to my gym before, so we were former teammates. Uh, She's the American record holder in our weight class. She's gone to the Olympics, so... Standing next to her on that podium was kind of like a surreal experience. Um, it felt like things came full circle. So I know I mentioned when I first started weightlifting was kind of when she was at our gym. I was snatching in the 60s and clean and jerking in the 80s and 
our first competition we did together was in a G session. So to go from G to A uh, with her a couple of years later was honestly, it'll probably be one of my favorite moments of my weightlifting career. Um, but aside from that, the experience of the competition itself, I think I, I don't know, I got to compete with another one of my teammates too. And she also podiumed. So just the whole day itself was just a really cool memory. Yeah, and you probably haven't fully processed it either because it's only been a week since you got to compete. Right, it's been a week. It kind of feels like it was yesterday, but also like a month ago, <laughs> you know? So what's, um, kind of talk through like weigh-ins and, and just getting through that and how you approach that couple hours leading into the meet and warm-ups, everything like that. So we weighed in at four o'clock, which is a little bit late. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, I do work with somebody for my nutrition. So thank God for him. Uh, we woke up intentionally a little bit light so I could eat before weigh-ins. Um, so that was nice because I didn't have to like sit around all day staring at a wall, not drinking, not eating, waiting 10 hours. Um, but after weigh-in, you know, you, you carb up, you fuel up. And uh, then we competed at Friday at six, which was, like I said, a little bit different. Um, but I don't know, we normally train at six o'clock, so, or around four-ish, but you know, during that time we're normally snatching, clean and jerking. Um, and then you, I don't know, it just kind of felt like a normal day. You did your quick warm up, and like I said, the numbers and the turns are all up to my coach. So he tells me when to go, and I kind of just checked into that flow state. You know what I mean? Where I don't, I can't really tell you a whole lot about what was going on around me, or you know who did what, or who was, how they were in the warm ups. Because I just, when I look back to the competitions, I don't really remember everything. So even on my last clean and jerk, my foot slipped on the jerk. Um, and then after I had some people say, oh, I think your foot slipped. And I was like, really? And so we checked the video and sure enough, my foot slipped, but it's just, it's kind of crazy when you reflect back on the meet because you don't necessarily black out, but I definitely go into a complete different flow state where I can't remember the whole entire thing. How, and like, how do you get there? Is that, is that music? Is that meditation, breathing? Do you have any exercises that you're doing, you know, le leading into even before you touch the barbell or even in between attempts? I think for me personally, and I know that different people function different ways, uh, during training, we don't have headphones. We don't really listen to music. So when I'm at the competition, I don't listen to any music. Um, I might in my hotel room getting ready, but you know, that's like your, your pre-training thing that you do. But I think during the competition for me to like stay on track mentally, I've really utilized having a mantra or like a little saying to myself. So it's not always the same meet to meet. It just depends on how that prep went and where I'm at in my life. And so I, I have a mantra that I decide that works best for me and I'll, I'll say it over and over in my head. And sometimes if you see me at the chalk bucket or walking up to the bar, it looks like I'm talking to myself, but I'm probably just actually saying it out loud. I know I actually did that this competition. Um, so I, I, I'll say it out loud to, to drown out all the noise and like, that's all I hear. Um, and then if I'm, if I'm feeling really anxious or things maybe don't go how I want them to, 
I'll tap into some of the breathing exercises that I've learned. Um, one of my teammates, she has a wellness business and I've learned a lot from her too, about like your mental game, uh, ways to calm yourself down. I even learned like what flow state was from her. I, before that, I just didn't know. I'd just be like, Oh, I think I like black out during competitions, but she's like, no, that's, that's flow. <laughs> like, so I think those are the main things that I, I utilize during competitions. Can you tell us what the mantra is? Um, I think for this competition, I I just kept reminding myself that it was like me against me. And I, there was so much going on all the time in the 64A session. As everybody knows, it's, it's like anyone's day, whoever is making lifts. And sometimes you get so wrapped up in that that I just had to keep telling myself, like, it's me against me. It's me against me. It doesn't matter what these people are doing. It doesn't matter what they hit in training. It doesn't matter what I hit in training. As long as, like, I have the confidence in myself and that I believe in myself, I know that I can do anything I want. Yeah, I love that. I'm definitely <laughs> going to clip that part. I think uh, I think that was really good. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's so easy, especially when you're kind of looking around and, you're in that A session, you're, you're seeing what everybody else is doing and you have an Olympian in your session. So it's like, you, you know, that person's a little bit above you just at the moment that you're in. And I think it's easy to get caught up in that. Like, Oh, look at, look at what she's doing. And I, I'm not there yet. And maybe you try to put something on the bar that you're not capable of because you want to beat her, but yeah, it's right. you versus you. And I think, like you said, that comes down to mindset again too so a lot of people when they see oh my gosh like the top 64 the top 71 the top 59 they're in my session like there's no way i can win you have to kind of remember like you're not competing against them but also like it's a privilege and an opportunity and it should be exciting because looking back that's going to be an amazing experience so i kind of flipped the mentality with that where instead of being scared, being like, okay, this person's going to get first place because they're so good. They're so far above me. I just was like, wow, I get to compete with them. Like, that's so cool. Because when you first start the sport, that's like the vision that you have. You're like, I want to be those people. Well, fast forward three, four, five, six, ten years. Now here you are, you know, you are those people. So you should take pride and excitement in that. And I think once you can find that, the way to look at that situation, it totally changes things. Yeah. I think mine's like a way less healthy way of looking at it. But if I'm in an A session, I think nobody's here to watch me. Like, like they're here to, they're here to watch all the people who are ending out the session who are really good. And I think you earned it, there though. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. But I think for me, that takes pressure off, like knowing that, Hey, like I'm here, I earned it. That's awesome. But also at the same time, however I do, no nobody's really here to see me lift. My friends and family are, but like that's about it. And uh, it, who knows if that's like a healthy mindset? But right. something that's but if helped that's me. And that's fine, you know. Like we don't always have the healthiest ways. I mean, there's definitely times where to motivate me through a lift or even during a competition, it might not be the healthiest thought process, but. If it, if it fuels your fire, then I think it might be okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want to really be good at anything, you're going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have mm -hmm. to do things that aren't necessarily, and I'm sure, like, you mentioned your training twice a day. 
that's probably not ideal for health wise and doing gymnastics, you know, four or five hours when you're younger, like that's not the best thing necessarily for your health. But if that's the goal, like that's the goal, you're going to need to make some sacrifices. It's kind of funny that you mentioned like the health thing, because my coach always says like, we don't do this for health. Like you're not doing weightlifting for health. And I've heard so many people say that. And it's true though. It's true. Do you feel like would you do weightlifting if you were doing something for health? Like, is this an, an avenue that you're going to take? Like, are you going to, once you hit a certain goal, are you going to be done with it and be like, Hey, I'll just do some CrossFit or I'll just go back to those high intensity training things. I think one of the many things I love about weightlifting is that there is no age limit and there's no cap. Um, so I think I could definitely see myself lifting for years to come. I mean, I'm not sure if I'll be lifting when I'm 80, like some <laughs> of these incredible people at the competitions we see. Um, but I could definitely see myself doing some master's competitions. I definitely won't be training at the level that I am now. You know, at some point I'm going to have to decrease my training um, and and realize that, okay, I probably peaked, you know, this is, or I reached my goal or whatever it may be. But I think it can be a healthy avenue if you do it, you know, when you, when you train for elite or elite level sports, like you mentioned, and everybody's mentioned, it's not for health. So when you're training six to 15 times a week, that's definitely not great for your body. But I think that you can find a healthy avenue with weightlifting by doing it like leisurely or recreationally and competing for masters, which I know that a lot of masters still train a lot, the ones that go to worlds and stuff. Um, but I think once you surpass that, once you decide, okay, I'm done at these worlds, masters levels and just do it locally. I think that I could definitely see myself doing it still yeah. for years to come. I like that. And I do think, I mean, having a goal is healthy though, too. At the same time, even if yeah. even if the avenue isn't necessarily like if the training is really hard on your body, I think having a goal and like pushing towards something that's just as healthy as like the thing that you're sacrificing. Absolutely. Yeah, because I've I've had a really tough time. Like just any time that I haven't had something to train for, it's not good. Like uh, mentally, it's it's really hard, and I I don't know. If that's, you know, just being an athlete your entire life and always having a date on the calendar. And then when you kind of get rid of those dates on the calendar, it's like, hey, what are you going to train for? Well, like you mentioned, you played baseball in college. So, I mean, you totally understand the the athlete growing up lifestyle. You, you're probably going to be active for the rest of your life, too. Yeah. Yeah. And you can you can always find different things like that. That thing for you probably won't be compete at the highest level forever. But I mean... Yeah, you can you can train yeah, for fun. You. <laughs> yeah, and you can do other things in between that. Like you're obviously spending time in the sauna, in the salt cave, and prioritizing your health outside, nutrition, all that stuff. So it's like you're mitigating the risks as much as you possibly can. Yeah, as much as I can, right? <laughs> so what happens? You get you get off the uh, get off the platform. Do you know like your final attempt is going to qualify you for second? Um, at this specific meet or in general? Yeah, at AO Finals. At this meet, I did because it was just Maddie and I going at the end for clean and jerk. So I knew that the last couple lifts were going to be dependent on, you know, if she makes it, then she wins. If I make it, then I win. 
Um, so when Maddie took 117, we were debating on what numbers we should take. And my coach ultimately decided, like, if you take 117, it doesn't change anything. If you make 118, it puts you at first, you know, until she takes her third attempt. But if you miss it, it doesn't drop you a medal placement. So we decided for 118. Um, and then obviously I made it when then she had her last clean and jerk left. So she knew as well that if she wanted to take gold for clean and jerk, she needed to take at least 19. So which she did. Um, and it was kind of really cool. After I made my 118, I got to watch Maddie do 119. Um, and then she came off the stage and we hugged and we just talked about like, how she said she was really proud of me, which meant a lot. Um, and then we just kind of like chatted and, and we were just talking about like how fun that was and how it was a really cool experience for all of us. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So in this transition time, like, do you lose a little bit of motivation? So, so you had a really big performance, obviously did incredible. Um, how do you kind of manage the rest of the year into next year into training when you don't necessarily have something coming up directly. So after the meet, um, you know, we talked about what our next plan is as far as competitions and nothing set in stone. So we talked about our general plans. Um, and then normally the week after I, I personally, I know that some people will take a week or two off completely. Um, but for me, sometimes like, it might backtrack my body, how it feels, and I'm not used to not training. So I'm always doing something. Even that Monday morning, I went into the gym. I did a full warm up. I came back later and I just did a ton of accessories. I did, you know, whatever my coach told me to do. I can't remember. It was like a bunch of lower body stuff, I think. Um, but I think, you know, the first day it was kind of a relief. Like, okay, I don't have to go on the platform. But by today, I, I stepped back onto the platform and I was like, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready to get back after it. I'm ready to start training again. Um, I feel like the mental break during the week of just doing some light stuff really helped refresh me. But I think it's just now we're ready to push back forward. And I think the plan is to do a train through meet in the spring and then hopefully lay a big one out at nationals. So Okay. And you kind of said the way the qualifying stuff works, like you don't really necessarily – know what you're qualifying for like it, it i guess the teams are so up in the air that like you could have qualified for for a big international meet but like not really sure yet if it happens yeah i think that none of us really know the full iwf schedule for next year um which i mean we have no control over uh so as far as you know knowing if i qualified for a small international meet again uh we don't even know when the next one is. So we kind of have to wait and see. I know that a lot of people that are competing at Worlds are in the same position for like Pan Ams and all that stuff. Yeah. So talk about that experience competing for Team USA. I'm sure that was that was really cool too. I know like you're coming off this high of AO finals, but you also <laughs> got to compete abroad, which I'm sure was an awesome experience. I did. Uh, one of my first goals was just to qualify for an international team. Um, and earlier this year, I got to represent Team USA in Cuba, which is also really cool because not a lot of people can say they went there. Um, and I think another really cool experience for me at that meet was 
one of my teammates at Forza, we both qualified. So we got to go together. Um, so it kind of made it just a little bit more unique for me personally. Um, Cuba was, <laughs> it was different. It was definitely out of my element. Um, I know that there was a lot of problems that arose at this meet that were out of our control, but it was a big learning lesson for me to kind of learn when you go abroad, you have to roll with the punches. Um, Cuba was definitely probably one of the worst situations for the environment, I guess, because your phone doesn't work. They don't take American currency. Um, there's hardly any internet. Uh, once you left the hotel, it was kind of like, let's just hope everything works out as we planned. And naturally it, it did it, you know, the bus would, would run late. And I remember one of the guys left their phones on the bus, <laughs> but we like, didn't know how to contact the bus. And they had to wait like two hours for it to circle back and cross your fingers. It was still there. So, um, even down to the water supply, there was hardly any water. You couldn't drink the water, but there was no grocery stores to buy water. And we had to bring our own toilet paper. It was just anything that you could think of. It was just, like I said, rolling with the punches. Yeah. And then, so what's it like when you, when you at least make it to the platform and you get to put on the USA singlet? It was an incredible honor to say the least. Number one, um, not a lot of people get that opportunity. So I took a lot of pride in it. Um, but I, I tried to remind myself, you know, because it, it is such a big meet and it is a huge opportunity, but at the end of the day, it's, it's the same weights. It's the same bar. It's the same thing. Weightlifting is the same all over the world. It's just the pressure that you put on that personal competition. And I tried to just soak up the experience for me personally. So I, I think overall I had a great experience. I PR'd my snatch. Um, and then unfortunately the heat did get to me in that specific situation. Um, it was like 110 degrees. There was no airflow, no fans, no windows in that little cement block room that we were in. Uh, so my clean and jerks didn't go that well, but I did make one and I did put up a total. So, um, I just was really happy to leave that meet with that experience under my belt. Yeah. That's, um, that's something that I think a lot of people should know, like hitting a total at, if it's your first international meet or if it's your first national meet, but like anything that's a little bit outside of your comfort zone, if you hit a total, like you should be proud of that. Like right. it, it's tough, especially when like I had some teammates go to the Arnold and it was like their first big time meet and maybe they didn't necessarily hit the numbers that they wanted to, but they put up a total and like you should, you have to take that as a win. And I'm sure like you can kind of attest to that as you've progressed in the sport that maybe you're not where you're at right now, but the more you keep working, those kilos are going to add up eventually. Right. And like every time you go to this meet or any specific meet, I guess I should say any national level meet or international meet, you're always going to learn something that you take with you to the next meet to hopefully improve yourself and to hopefully better yourself or your total or just be like, wow, that, that didn't work for me. You know, I, I got to go back home. I've got to figure out what I should do next time, whether it's how you lifted or how you prepared, you know, did you pack your food? It, there's just so many things to learn. What did you learn from finals that was unexpected? Um, 
So this wasn't my first American Open finals or my first nationals. Um, at those meets, I definitely did learn something. My first finals was in Utah, and I learned that elevation will hit you. <laughs> so that was the meet where I decided, like, I should start working with somebody for nutrition. I should start getting help on stuff that I don't have expertise in. Um, and then my first nationals, I would say, was just, like, being there. It was just, like, getting the jitters out. Um, and I think maybe for this meet, I, I've tried to reflect, but I don't know if, like you said, I've completely processed the whole meet. I can't think of anything specifically off of the top of the, my head where I'm like, that's the lesson I learned. Mm -hmm. um, but I think maybe for this one, like searching for something would be just to be like in my own bubble. I think this is the meet where I really kind of just found my bubble and stayed in it. And I think for me personally, like that was a, a game changer in how I performed. Yeah. So do you mean like not looking at what people are doing in warmups or specifically? I mean, I never watch people's warmups. I never look out into the crowd. Um, I, I am really pretty like focused on what I'm doing, but I also train that way too. So for me, it's not very different in how I act and how I train and go to the meets. Um, but I think I was just like more focused on my mental game as far as like, like I said earlier, like my mantra and my breathing and, and just where I choose to put my focus mm. and how I looked at things specifically. Yeah. And that's stuff that you're, you're just not going to learn unless you have experience. Like the more you're able to get out on the platform, you, you're yeah. going to pick, you're going to pick things up that like you said, you, you're going to be able to reflect back on and, Hey, this, this didn't work at this meet. Yeah. I always encourage that. Like try music at one meet. Oh, that didn't work. Then try going no music and try, you know, warming up for an extended period of time. Try not warming up as long and kind of seeing like the more you compete, the more you're going to learn. Right. Right. And that's why sometimes too, like getting in more local meets, for a lot of lifters would be beneficial to just figure out like your game plan for you personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you, do you do like local meets and kind of, I know you said you were going to do a train through one, but do you do meets and like know that you're going to hit 90% or you're, you're not going to hit your best total. Is that something that you've done yeah. before? I think so. So we do local meets uh, whenever they pop up. We actually hosted like the state meet this year, which was pretty cool. I didn't compete in that one because the way the schedule worked out, I had just come back from Cuba not too long ago. Um, but last, I didn't do any local meets this year, um, but last year we did. And our plan was just to go and like hit certain numbers. Um, and it wasn't necessarily like we didn't peak for it. So I guess if I were to do another local meet this coming year, it'd probably be the same thing. Just kind of, here's our game plan. We're not straying from it no matter what. Yeah. I think that's something that more coaches need to do. Like take people to meets, get experience and like, Hey, you don't have to PR every single time here on the platform. Like, yeah, it's great. Right. It's great when you do, but I mean, in reality, like, especially most of the people who are competing at finals and nationals, they're not hitting all time personal records out on the platform it's numbers that no. they've probably done you know a bunch in training right yeah typically you know if you hit something in training it's kind of hard to hit it at the meet so 
I think, well, for me personally, like even at this meet, um, I didn't hit my best training total numbers on the platform. Um, but I think that's the mindset that some people need to have and need to accept also is that, like you said, you're not going to PR every single meet. It's, it's pretty impossible too. And if you do three to four meets a year, um, you can't peak for all of them, especially when you start getting heavy past your body weight, past double body weight, you know, for some of the guys, it just takes a, a beating on your body. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay. It's, it's like, okay to not be peaked all the time. I think, right. I think that needs to be like more normalized. I mean, it's just social media. Like people, you go to a meet and you expect to do good and like, you want to share that and you know, you always want to be your best, but in reality, people are going to bomb out. You're not going to have your best meet every single time. It's just, Hey, just roll with it and keep doing it. Like that's the biggest thing that I've learned from just talking to a bunch of weightlifters is like the people who are in the sport for the longest are usually the most successful. Obviously that's, Mm -hmm. that's not always the case. There are some people who are just really gifted and they'll come on and be doing the sport for a year and go to nationals and possibly win. But like, the people who have been doing it the longest are usually the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know that um, a lot of the upper level people started when they were like nine or 13. So if you can start when you're young, I think that's a huge thing. Yeah. But just kind of, just kind of being okay with like where you are now. Totally. Yeah. That's good. Um, So where, where can people find you if they want to follow your weightlifting journey? Um, point them to your Instagram page and stuff. My Instagram handle is just my full name. So it's at Shelby Flug. That's P F L U G. Um, that's probably the best place to find me. I do make some funny TikToks, I guess (laughs) it's also the same one. Um, but those are probably the best. I post a lot of my training on Instagram. And so if they're looking to follow like my, my weightlifting journey, Instagram, and I, I try and share some other things too on there. Like, my story as far as like nutrition and you know you know what everybody does yeah i know i i like that though like people sharing training and just kind of just kind of showing what you're doing i think like we can all kind of take away from everybody's training everybody's got like this a little bit different style but i think you can kind of see what other people are doing and hey maybe you need to throw this in there this person does something for recovery that i didn't know about or nutrition wise yeah I like to watch people's stories and see like what they eat. I know a lot of people don't necessarily like that, but I think for me, because a lot of people I follow on Instagram now are people that I've met at competitions or, you know, stuff like that. But I like to see what they eat. I like to see how they hit their macros. I like to see like what their favorite desserts are, like any like protein desserts. So it can be fun. Yeah. All right. So uh, more dessert pictures, people. (laughs) Noted. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.